welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining us is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. I'm also in the city of Chicago. Fair enough. You're just always saying that you're in Chicago. I'm just proud of, you know, my adopted city where everything is made of sausage. But you're not the only one, Matt. <laughs> Fair enough. Also joining us, a man who is probably ashamed of Chicago, and there's plenty of reasons for that, Jed Brewer. Consumed with overwhelming shame. Nope, that's just the ice that's on everything. That's what you're <laughs> oh. consumed with. Oh, okay. Well, that does make sense. Joining us all the way from Christ Community Church, a man of uh, probably reasonable civic pride in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, one Lee Younger. Consuming delicious Nordic treats. Wait, Nordic treats? Wait, what's yep. going on here? They don't, they don't have a, a Nordic candy store in Oak Ridge. How did you, how'd you get those? Well, gentlemen. It's a, it's a great story, guys. Well, before, before we get there, I'm, I'm afraid, and we have a great show for you, you folks, and I'm, I'm forced to declare the rare and true emergency on this program. Uh, emergency? Please, please be at a heightened is state a, of readiness. You know, there, there's been some things emergency? that have happened since the last time we talked to you fine folks, and things that are, uh, quite frankly, unacceptable. We've all put up with a lot of, di- of changes, of differences over the last several years, but Something happened uh, in the interregnum between the time we talked to you last and this recording uh, that, that will not be tolerated. That was a violation of, of norms and decency mm. about which we cannot stay silent. And it's on all uh, decent people, on all patriotic people, regardless of their views on other things, to join up as one and reject this. And that, of course, I'm referring to the fact that superfans have started sending the treats directly to Lee. What? Yeah. What? Mm-hmm. I'm going to be demanding hearings. This treat aggression will not stand. This is something up with which we shall not put. He's angry, well put. but he's not grammatically incorrect angry. <laughs> so, Lee, uh, I'm not saying you're under oath, but what do you have to say for yourself? Here's the thing I think the super fans know um, that. When it comes to the distribution of snacks, I'm the uh, black sheep of the podcast. Uh, Everybody sends the baked goods and the snacks to the brethren in Chicago. And our friend Jacob has sent a a letter to me in an international parcel. And the Mm. letter starts with, it's time, buddy. And I couldn't agree more, Jacob. It's time. Et tu, Jacob. At two. <laughs> Jed, keep the French to yourself. <laughs> I will say there's going to be a lot of a lot of accusations going around that just because I occasionally also give out the mailing address to Christ Community when I give out our mailing address, that I in some way uh, assisted or encouraged this happening. And to that I say, hey, look over there and run away. <laughs> in, in a way, Matt incited this this treat giving. It's almost like he gave a tour of Oak Ridge to Jacob before this little uh, parcel was sent to me. I'm being canceled. What did Matt know? (laughs) And when did Matt know it? These are the questions we need answers to. I've been warning all of you for years about how it's a definite thing that Scandinavians are going to tear this podcast apart. He meant ABBA at the time, but it still it still counts as a correct prediction. Well, uh, 
Jacob is a good dude, a wonderful say that super fan. We're all super Indeed. thankful for him. And in in his letter, he 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 specifies the the different um treats that he that he sent and by the way, one of the treats is basically the American snack food bugles uh ensconced in chocolate. Oh. <sighs> How did we not Which, come up with that? It's just really quite wonderful. Um, and they are called smash with an exclamation point. <laughs> also, how did Americans not name something that? This this is something sold in Scandinavia, but yeah. it's called the English word smash exclamation point. Yeah, like I can't read the back <laughs> of the package to you, Glenn, because it's salty oaks pro mice i can't even begin to do that for you but yes it's basically a a bugle that somebody dipped in molten chocolate and then put into a bag that says smash with an x i have to pronounce it that way we have many questions i'm sure my first and most important one is is it possible this is a line of snack foods all named after sound effects that would pop up on the old batman tv show when they punch someone excellent question In that case, I demand a bag of whammo. Yeah, you get a biff <laughs> and a zam, that kind of stuff. It's it's either that or since the since kind of the end of the touring of Guns N' Roses, the famous guitar player has started producing bugle like snacks in in uh, Scandinavia. <laughs> he he's got a very Slash has a very Willy Wonka kind of look about him. You could see that happening. That is totally true. He is a dreamer yeah. of dreams. He's also the kind yes. of guy who thinks that changing his name from Slash to Smash but keeping the hair in the top That's hat right. would mean no one would recognize him. Well, he <laughs> he says he says I have several reasons for sending the snacks directly to you. And then he puts in bullets. Uh one, appreciation for your uh, for your serving that I'm thankful for. Uh, two, encouragement in a crappy year. Yes, sir. Three, spreading the gospel of Nordic treats. Mm. And then four, and of course, and this is Glenn's uh, conspiracy theory actually being proven true, and of course, stirring the podcast pot. What? It's, a, it's an open admission of podcast insurrection. <laughs> It's almost like he live-streamed himself committing this podcast insurrection and then signed his full name at the end of it. Look, this podcast, where the treats go into the basement of Glenn's house, that is a sacred sanctity of our podcast uh, system that shall not be, that shall not be infringed upon. This is there's a, a peaceful transfer of snacks that takes place, <laughs> and uh, there's a ceremony, and there's a there's a you know, there's a box, and you put things into the box, and you know some things end up in Tennessee, and sometimes they, you know, don't. they don't, you know, and that's <laughs> that's that's our system. Our treat founders set this up for a reason. There's checks and balances. I heard that ever since Jacob sent snacks directly to me, that Glenn is not even going to uh, show up at the inauguration of the next snack opening. Mm, yeah. Mm. Well, it's, you know, it's important to register a protest because, first of all, if you'd asked me before this, what's, what is the snack situation happening in Scandinavia generally? I would say it's probably just all ice based. 
you know, it's, a, it's your, <laughs> your 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 slushy, you know, your your ice pop, you know, ice pop, etc. I, I just assume that's all that they have the technology for. But you're talking about <laughs> taking American snacks and 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 producing them in a way that's almost sarcastically mocking us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, here's this. It's called Smash. Yeah, because that's you know that's like. <laughs> That's as articulate as Americans get on things. Which, fair. <laughs> and then they're eating them like, look, I'm an American. I'm eating something that's bad for me and has no <laughs> nutritional value. <laughs> and then they're, then they're sending them off to us in a way that's clearly meant to incite a riot. Well, in many ways, if I, if I may, I think Nordic snacks are the musical equivalent of Prince covering other people's works. We all okay. know Prince was a musical genius, but whenever he covered a song, it was clear, I'm going to do this in a way that is much, much better than the person mm. who did it originally. Um, yeah. Whether that's, you know, Radiohead, the Beatles, every time he took on a song, but it was that exact quality of, it's not just enough for me to be better than you, which we all know that I am. What's important is that you recognize that I know that I'm better than you. And this guitar solo, this five minute guitar solo will now rub that in your face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. I, what the thing that really surprised me is that as soon as Matt, uh, let it fly that I received that I took receipt of these snacks before anybody in Chicago, that Glenn started wearing, uh, a bearskin Viking helmet. <laughs> and right. I was really surprised to see that. Look, we've covered that it's winter in Chicago. You do what you have to do to stay warm. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I'm still going shirtless, but you know, uh, that's just my way of protesting that I should have all of the snacks. <laughs> <laughs> do not wear your bearskin, uh, your bearskin toga into any kind of convenience store and demand all the snacks. That's not going to go well. <laughs> <laughs> they don't know what to do. I want that. the chocolate covered bugles. That, that that does not go down in Chicago at all. He's clearly having some kind of delusion of some crazy world where there's chocolate covered bugles. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm just saying a little respect for our hallowed podcast norms and institutions. Is that too much to ask? Jacob no, I, keep sending snacks. It's great. I, I think the only way out of this, fellas, because I'm I'm a uniter and not a divider. Uh I think it's important <laughs> at these times that we all come together and have unity. And I think the only way for that to happen is for people listening to this podcast to just send as many snacks as possible so that there's just there's just so many snacks happening. There isn't a concern about who gets what snack. That that to me, that's the only way out of this. Well said. I'm I'm personally glad that when you guys found this out, that there wasn't like a like a formal process by which you would try to remove me from the podcast. Well, there may be one of those, Lee, but I was too busy sending out snack fundraising emails. <laughs> just telling people. Lee has so many more snacks than we do. If you give now, there's a matching snack donor, but only if you give in the next 10 minutes. <laughs> so that was what I focused yeah. a lot of my energy on. One of the things I love about this podcast is, you know, like other, you know, shady religious uh, things put a lot of effort into manipulating people to give them money and 
helicopters and big buildings and stuff. We're just basically trying to get, you know, basic snack food. Yeah, if you That's if right. you send me a, a Reese's Pieces, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a happy man. It it doesn't yeah. take much. If you pour yeah. chocolate on a helicopter, that ruins it. Pour chocolate <laughs> yeah, on a exactly Google, right. that makes it better. That's kind of that's the, right. that's more the area we're working in. And on that delicious note, we will go ahead and declare emergency off for now. PO Box 316, Forest Park, Illinois, 60130. <laughs> 100 Ogden Lane, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, 37830. Jacob, you're the man. Baked wow. goods, chocolate-covered bugles. Woo, yes, sir. I didn't want to let Lee say the uh, say his address there, but due to the fairness doctrine, I'm bound by FTC regulations, and some of us respect those kind of things. Uh, we also, of course, respect Bridgebox, because we make it, and it'd be really weird if we didn't respect it. Uh, you can <laughs> sign up at missionosa.com slash Bridgebox. Only $8 a month, all sorts of good stuff into your inbox. And you can check us out every single week, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. Central Time. Facebook.com slash BridgeChicago for our Bridge Live service. Join us for a little singing, a little preaching, and an overall good encouraging time we certainly hope you'll join us every tuesday at 7 30 p.m central time and if you can't join us live every single episode of that is archived at the videos tab at facebook.com slash the bridge chicago we're going to jump to our first question here if you have this all the way to the end i'll give you some ways you can get in touch with this our first question comes in anonymously to our tumblr and it says i'm not attracted to my spouse i'm really struggling with the physical side of the relationship as a result what can i do Thanks. And a great question, and one we are super glad that you uh, had the honesty and the trust in us to write in, so we're super, super thankful for that. And Jed, I'd love to get you to start us off here, and in in the sense of kind of an Occam's Razor situation, we've been presented with two things that clearly the question asker thinks are uh, the one leads to the other, of I'm not attracted to my spouse and struggling with the physical side of this relationship, but there may be some more obvious ways we want to start if we're struggling with the physical side of our marriage, right? Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. And I want to repeat right off what Matt said. We love when people find the courage to write in with questions that I think they might be inclined to feel embarrassed about. Uh, that mm. is the good stuff. Man, we are proud of you. Because here's the thing, is when we have a question that we might feel embarrassed about, the easiest thing in the world is to not ask. Um, and to not look into it and just, well, I'll just, I'll just wait it out just 50 more years and I'll have waited it out. And we don't want that for you. We don't want that for anybody. So we're really proud of you for, um, voicing this question and asking for some input and asking for some help. So there's a few things I want to encourage you to look at. Here's the first, is your sex drive lower generally, either is it lower than it used to be, or is it Compared to what you think it should be, is it low generally? Either way, um, if it's, you know, yeah, I don't find my, my spouse terribly attractive, but I'm not sure that I find anyone terribly attractive, maybe talk to your doctor. That's actually a great place to begin. Um, the human body is a very complex thing. There's a lot of stuff that can be going on, and um, your doctor will not be weirded out by that question. Um, they are trained to handle it, so... Yeah. Uh, give your doctor a call and explain, I'm, I'm having trouble with my sex drive. Is there anything we can do about that? Um, that would be a great place to begin. Uh, and we want to encourage you to talk to your doctor. 
Christians, for all kinds of reasons, uh, often put talking to medical professionals as one of the lowest priorities on the list. We want to encourage you to flip that around. Um, There are people with a great expertise who want to help. Let them help you. Now, on the other side of the equation, here is a question for you, which is, how are you guys at actively giving each other pleasure? And I ask for kind of two reasons. The first is no criticism and no shame, but there's a lot of bad sex in the world, like Mm. a lot. And the, the thing is, Let's talk about back rubs for a second. Like a good back rub is pretty great and it doesn't need to be an attractive person giving you the back rub for it to be great. It's just a good back rub is really, really awesome. And I think if we've got something that is fundamentally about pleasure, but it's Mm. really not connecting with us, it's possible that there's just a huge problem with chemistry, but there may also be a problem with how pleasurable this is versus how pleasurable maybe it it could be. Uh, in other words, a good back rub is great, but if someone just grabs your shoulders and just squeezes as hard as they can, that's not really a good back rub. There, there wouldn't be anything fun about that, even if they were the hottest person breathing air. So <laughs> I think it's it's worth looking at. How are we doing just at giving each other pleasure? Is that something that we've talked about? Do we Are we in a place where we're able to communicate with each other about things that we like and things that we dislike? I think uh, I'm not a sex therapist, but I think that most sex therapists would tell you that communication, good open communication is kind of the bedrock of good sex. And um, given that you guys are married, we we want you to have good sex and a lot of it. So Let's look at that communication aspect. The last thing that I want to ask you about and I want to encourage you to think about is to ask, you're talking about, it sounds like a change in you, that maybe you you were attracted to your spouse and now you're not. Has there been a change in them? Has there been a change, sure, in their appearance? Has there been a change in their personality? Has there been a change in the relational dynamic between the two of you? The thing is, you you use the word um, attracted. Uh, I think maybe we'll use the word chemistry because I think that's a little bit more encompassing. Chemistry between two people is a complex thing. And um, just thinking they look good in those pants is actually only a part of that. And um, there are certainly people that I think we can all acknowledge who are objectively attractive. You know, they have symmetrical facial features and whatnot, where we do not dig their personality or their vibe as a person. And there is no way we would actually be attracted to them. So with your spouse, has there been a change there? You're concerned about a change on your part, but has there been a change on their part? Again, that could be related to their appearance, but that could also be their personality. It could be the way that they talk to you or the way they treat you. It could be the hours that they're, that they're keeping at work. And have you talked to them about any of that? Are you guys communicating about this stuff? Because if we're not talking, it's going to be pretty hard to solve whatever problems might be going on. Amen. Um, And I I want to add one more question. I'm not suggesting that this is the case, but I really think it's worth looking at is, is it possible that you're angry at your spouse? Is it possible Mm -hmm. that there is something where you are just pissed at this human being? Because... If that's the case, it's pretty hard to be mad at somebody and really attracted to them at the same time. Um, Mm. You know, I mean, 
Yeah, in in rom-coms that happens, but in real life, it is pretty hard to have a seething anger at someone and also be really attracted to them. I'm not presupposing what's going on in your situation. I'm just using a for instance. But here's the thing about it is it's also really anger, really easy in relationships and especially marriages to be angry and not being honest with ourself that we're angry. Um, it's, it is easy to be, particularly in marriages that are trying to be Christian, to be angry and feel like we can't acknowledge that we're angry because that would be bad. Again, the through line on all of this is honest communication. We want to talk with our doctor for sure, but we also want to learn how to talk and communicate better, more openly with each other. That is going to give us the best chance to move forward. And I bet that if we do that, we're going to discover that the sky's the limit for how good this can get. I think that's such a fantastic place to start off, and I, that's a great foundation to start from. And, Lee, I'd love to get you to pick us up kind of exactly on that point where yeah. Jed left us as far as the other relationship stuff, because what we're not going to do and what way too much is done way too much in Christian circles is if someone in a marriage has sexual problems is to just kind of jump to, like, ah, well, you know, sex isn't all that important, so let's, have, let's just have a good relationship. And we certainly don't want to discount uh, the role that, you know, a good, healthy sex life should play in your, your marriage. But se- a sex life does not exist wholly separated from the relationship as a whole, right? That's right. Yeah. I, I love—well, first of all, I love everything that Jed said on this. It's all excessively important. And and most of it is stuff that, that so many Christians, unfortunately, are uncomfortable— um, thinking about or don't readily think about as as go tos. I, I want to jump in exactly as you're saying, Matt, on on what Jed's talking about with chemistry. The th- one place that I would suggest to pour energy into is your friendship with your spouse. Um, that what we need to do is we really need to nurture the best friend status of your relationship with your spouse. Um, <clears throat> there is. There's this really in- interesting dynamic that happens when you're trying to win someone's affections where you work so hard at um, connecting with them, trying to find every little through line, every little place where the Venn diagram overlaps, anything that we can share, anything that we can enjoy together, because you're trying to win somebody's heart. And then what happens a lot of times for a lot of couples, and and unfortunately, the reason that I know this is um, like... Like a lot of these other, like like a lot of these guys on on this podcast, I've done fair a fair amount of talking with couples whose marriages are falling apart or that have fallen apart. They just stopped being friends at a certain point. They, yeah. you know, life life happened, or kids happened, or work promotions happened, or different changes happened, or comfort happened, and familiarity happened. And they just stopped putting the effort into the friendship. And what happens on that is, is you, you, like you start to lose something, which is kind of the whole point of marriage, which is it's me and my girl versus the whole world. This, this is the team. Like we're, we're, we're taking on the world together. This is my person for the rest of my life, or this is, it's me and my guy. And, and, and it's, and it's our team looking for the thing that God has us in this world to do, working together, doing that thing better as a team than we could on our own. And there's a joy in that, and there's a fun in that. And all of that leads to something critical 
critical in marriage that we don't talk about enough, which is intimacy. It all leads to that. The effort and the nurture and the the cultivation of friendship leads to intimacy. And the idea of having sex without intimacy is the lie that our kind of media ensconced life has sold us all. The funny thing is, is that if you took your question and you flipped it around to the opposite, you'd actually have the same problem. Like, in other words, if you just had somebody like, like, I I guess a simpler way of saying this is there's an assumption in our popular culture that the key ingredient to great sex is just, you take two hot people and you stick them in a room and then they'll just have amazing sex. That's what every movie tells you. That's what every book tells you. That's what is there. There's a, there's kind of a, a thought in people's minds that like, if you're young and hot, that's what equals great sex. The problem with that is that that's not the downhill towards a great sexual relationship. That's, it's not just hot, hotness and attraction. That's a myth. True intimacy requires more than just being physically turned on by somebody. This is what Jeb was talking about when he got to that part in his response about how, um, you know, like the, the hottest person in the world, you like somebody that you just think is objectively hot, you could hang out with them and their personality turns you off so much that you could not look at them and think they were hot anymore. Yep. Um, but our world has sold us on this idea that the thing that equals great sex is young and hot. You stick them in a room. Boom. It just happens. Young and hot equals great sex. The truth is intimacy equals great sex. The teamwork of a life that's built on a friendship of sharing and enjoying and sharing experiences and nurturing and cultivating a friendship and a teamwork, that is what is going to bring actually more attraction, more friendship, more intimacy. It all becomes this the a beautiful version of the the you know the the Ouroboros, the snake eating its own tail, the, the just a wheel of something that just builds on itself, rolls downhill and gets better and better and better. I want to encourage you to dive into your friendship with your spouse. Find out everything that you can share and enjoy. Uh, find out what your teamwork is and, and work hard at those things because what you will be putting your energy and your focus into is intimacy, which is always going to yield more and better sex. And what we can promise you is the older you get and the stronger your teamwork gets and the stronger your friendship gets, the better and better attraction and, and this beautiful word Jed used, chemistry and sex will get. All of that stuff will grow at, in, in kind of a harmony with each other. And these are the things. Youngness, hotness, those things do not equal great sex. That's what the movies tell us. Intimacy, friendship, teamwork, nurturing and cultivating a, a life together. That's what equals great sex. That is all fantastic stuff. And Glenn, we've heard a lot of great stuff from both of these guys. Where would you close it out? Well, yeah, I, I agree with everything these fellows are, are saying. And, and you know, I, I want to echo what Jed was saying there, that uh, the, these things do not scare us. Uh, as as Lee said, these are sort of everyday things that we are, are doing in counseling sessions. So uh, it's not uh, too heavy for us. And I would also say you cannot give us too many details. If you want to give us a two-page explanation of what's going on, we can edit that down for the show and uh, when we read it off uh, 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 as, we're, as we're doing it. 
in this case, if I had this uh, question from somebody sitting across from me, I, I think I'd have three different things I want to look at uh, beyond what these fellows have talked about. The first thing is I want to know, uh, was you say you're struggling with the physical side because you're not attracted to your spouse. I, I think the first thing I want to know is were you ever attracted to your spouse? Was, was, was that something where you had it and you lost it or was there, was there never anything there? If there, if there wasn't anything there, I think we need to look at why on earth did we get married and what, you know, how did this come about? And I think you need to be talking with a counselor to determine that and then to look at, you know, how, you know, what can be salvaged here? Is there a chance that we could have a different perspective on this? Is there a chance now that we are married that we can, we can have a different viewpoint on this thing? Uh, There's something really deep and psychological about this feeling that I'm stuck in this marriage and everything becomes negative. Everything becomes a prison uh, you know, particularly with men, you'll hear them say, you know, uh, it, it's it's overwhelming to think this is the only woman I'll ever make love to for the rest of my life. It's not that I'm choosing one woman, it's that I'm not choosing all these other women. And of course, that's where you have to explain to some of those dudes, there's not that many women that actually want to get with you. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> and then when you take the ones that you want to get with, that's a much, much smaller subset. So, it's it's not like you're giving up that much, my man. So, uh, you know, the uh, some of that is about, uh, you know, saying, okay, you aren't trapped in this. There are options. There are different approaches we can take to looking at this. If there never was an attraction in the first place, let's see, can we just start over again on this? The second thing I would ask is, is this a loss? Uh, is there a loss of sex drive here that has a guilt connection to that? Uh, we certainly see that a lot in, in counseling where, uh, you know, I just, uh, you know, I'm, I have so much weird religious guilt behind having sexual desires. And I pressed that down for so long that I had a negative association with sex. So then that just becomes a thing that I'm avoiding because it just emotionally feels bad. If if you just feel like you're not attracted to this person, you're not interested in the idea of sex because there's a guilt component of that, we definitely need to look at that and we definitely need to completely unpack that. And you certainly need a mentor or pastor or counselor or someone who can help you understand God wants you to have extremely good and frequent and healthy and fun sexual interaction with your spouse. Uh, that's not something that God is against. Uh, and so that that guilt does not you know, line up with reality and does not line up with what he wants. And, and grab some acceptance of, as, as Lee was pointing out, this idea that it's two hot people, you put them in the room and everything's automatic. That's, that's not how... That's not what we're hurtling towards. We're hurtling <laughs> towards gray hair. Everything is, I mean, gravity is taking hold, dude. Come on, man. Everything is get you know, and we're just talking about, you know, who cares, man? Turn out the lights and let's just go nuts here. Like, that's, we need to grab a hold of that spirit as we move forward that who cares about what's on the cover of a magazine? That's for young people who are clueless and don't know how to have good sex anyway. Let's move past that. So get getting out of those sort of shallow 
uh, and and really um, unhealthy kinds of expectations. I th- I think if you look at some of those things, uh, maybe you're going to have a different outlook on this whole deal. That's all excellent stuff there, and I would I would add to the very good stuff these guys gave you. On top of what they're talking about with expectations and all that, particularly if you're raised in a certain type of religious environment where there was so much put on um, save it for marriage, save it for marriage, save it for marriage, which, just to be clear, we advocate saving it for marriage. But part of the thing that the kind of purity culture thing promised you was that if you didn't have sex before you got married, sex would never be a problem in your life once you got married. It would just... You would know how to do it. You would know how to, it would always be a good thing. You, you know, God kind of, as I believe a friend of ours once said out loud to Lee when he was married, I know I'm going to be good at this because God owes me that. He owes me that. Uh, (laughs) And uh, again, totally understandable where if you're raised with certain kind of messages, you got that idea, but it's not true. It's not healthy. Marriage is a human relationship. It's a human interaction. You have to communicate. You have to learn to. It's no one's that attracted to anyone when they've had to work a 12 hour day on their feet and walked home in the rain and all that. That's, that doesn't mean you're cursed. That doesn't mean the marriage isn't good. That doesn't mean you're not meant to be sexual. There's a number of things going on there. It's a very multi-layered problem, but none of it means that you are cursed in any way. And we're going to move on to our next question here. Came in anonymously as well and says, hi, say that. I like I liked when people address us as a kind of a Borg hive mind mm. situation. <laughs> I started learning about church history recently, and I never knew there was this much conflict and division in the faith. Some of it is disturbing and so sad. It confuses me how we can be so divided when following the same God. You guys are awesome at unpacking complicated things in Christianity and making them not so scary and easy to understand. Would you be willing to talk a bit about this, how it affects us as a body today, and how we choose which church branches to join? Thanks. And a really cool question, an awesome question, is we're coming out of, we're a little past the holiday season now, I will, is an opportunity to bring up one of my favorite church history fun facts, which is that the historical St. Nicholas attacked someone at the Council of Nicaea for having incorrect <laughs> theology, literally slapped him about the face, which I think is a pretty cool aspect of the Santa Claus mythos myself. But Lee, a really cool question, obviously there's a, there's a lot of history and catechism and theology we could go into, but I like the the kind of attacking attaching this to what does all this stuff mean for us today? Uh I I probably join my uh podcast hosts in saying it's gonna be really difficult to not just turn my response into a gigantic rant that lasts <laughs> for hours on this. And in fact, a little peek behind the curtain, many of our off mic conversations as friends is they're just ranting about this idea and, and many other um, things. <laughs> um, and, and I didn't get clearance from Matt on this, but, but I want to make a book recommendation. Um, there's a, a, a guy called Jamar Tisby who uh, a year and a half ago or so wrote a book called the color of compromise that deals specifically with the history of the church and um, how awful the white church has been to black people. And um, if you are a person who has grown up in in church and you are a white person, you should read that book uh, because you almost certainly have not been told <laughs> um, the truth of the way a lot of things went down 
um, in church history. And it's a very, very, um, it's sad. It is eye opening, and um, it will make you uh, very excited to to uh, hit the ground running, to uh, to 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 get in a good fight. And so, I want to encourage uh, our listeners to ch- check that book out if you haven't if you haven't read it. He just actually wrote a no- a new book that just came out last week called How to Fight Racism as well. But really, really cool stuff from Jamar Tisby. But basically, Christians, oh, how do you start this? Christians were always supposed to exert um, an influence on the world. What Jesus said is, you are salt and you are light. Um, he was talking about our identity, that you, you, have, you are supposed to exert an influence on the world that, um, that is like salt, that is like light. You're supposed to expose things, and you're supposed to uh, make things taste better. Um, to stop corruption or to make things taste better. That's what salt does. Um, salt makes food more interesting and taste better. It, salt stops corruption, especially in the old world before there was refrigeration and stuff like that. This is what you were supposed to do. Jesus said to people, follow me. Um, we were supposed to imitate Christ is what Paul said. And what Jesus said is, people are, are going to know that you're my disciples if you love them. And that's what the church was always supposed to do, that the church was supposed to, the church was supposed to be like Jesus, and the church was supposed to love people. So when you look at, I mean, as you say, when, the more you find out about church history, the more maddening it becomes, the more difficult it becomes to stomach what's happened to people um, in, the, in the name of Jesus. It is infuriating. It's sad that people have been... Um, People have been judged, people have been hated, people have been excluded, people have been exploited, um, and, and somehow in the name of Jesus. And what we were all, always supposed to be was followers of Jesus, uh, people who loved the way he does, people who included and accepted the way he does. Um, a, a few months ago on this podcast, Jed was talking about a lesson he learned from a friend of his who passed away, which was um, to radically accept and love yourself. And we're supposed to, and that, that phrase has never left my mind probably any days since I heard him say it. Um, and the, the thing that the church was always supposed to do is in, in understanding the radical love that Jesus has for me, that I'm supposed to then turn around and radically love and accept everybody else. And that's the way, that's the kind of influence that we're supposed to have in the world. So, Christians have massively bungled that, totally messed that up in every possible way. But as you look for who you're supposed to be, and you're looking for what kind of church you want to be a part of, you want to look for one that's like Jesus. You want to look for one that that prizes humility. Um, Jesus only described himself one time in all the scriptures, and he said, I am gentle and humble in heart. What if you looked for a church that was like that? Um, a lot of churches spend a lot of time and actually a lot of dollars um, talking about themselves a lot. What if you found one that talked about you instead of themselves? Um, my, the, the guy that raised me uh, spiritually said, a church should be like an individual Christian should be. You should find a church that is the kind of person that you would want to hang out with, the kind of a, a church that serves you, a church that loves 
people who are outcast, people who are different, people from all different races, immigrants, the poor that gives time and money for caring for these people. That's the kind of church you're looking for. I will say a couple of specific things. Smaller is better than bigger. Humble is better than fancy. Generous yeah. is better than one where all the money stays in house. Um, look for a church that isn't trying to be famous, that doesn't have a marketing budget. That would be amazing. Um, maybe just go to a church and if they have a marketing budget, go to a different one. And let's find one that doesn't have a, a marketing plan or a marketing budget. Um, the church is supposed to be like Jesus is. We were always supposed to imitate him. Humble, serving, radically accepting, radically loving. The church has been a giant mess, but I still and I still hold out hope that people who love Jesus can come together and form an organization where they serve poor people and they serve immigrants and they serve other people. And that's what that's what the church that you want to be a part of, that's what they should be trying to do. That's definitely what we are trying to do down here. I'm not saying we do it perfectly, but that's our hope, that's our heart, that's our aim. And our hope for you is that you find a place like that. That's absolutely right, and a great place to start it off. And Glenn, where do we take it from there? Well, yeah, I I agree with all of that. I think, uh, especially about the smaller uh, being better than bigger and so forth. I, but I think let's look at this uh, some some language here to make sure that we're being clear with you. There's a belief system that we call Christianity, and then there is the human expression of that. Uh, and that's Christendom. Christendom is the people who say they are Christians. That group of people in Christendom include people who don't believe in a single word of it, really, but they think they do. It includes people who figure, I can go to this building and they'll never kick me out for being a jerk. So I, I don't have anywhere else I can do that, <laughs> so I'm coming to this place for that. That includes people who um, believe in God, but they are really struggling to get their life together within that and uh, look pretty messy. And that includes people who are living it and walking it and talking it in a way that has integrity, and they've been doing that for a long time, and they can set a good example. All those people are under the umbrella of Christendom. Given that, what I would want to say to you is, given that Christendom is made up of random sinners like myself, then Christendom is subject to the exact same history that human history is, is the way human history is exemplified. So in other words, when you look back on history, you just see it gets less progressive the further back you go. Therefore, Christendom is less progressive the further back you go because it's just humans. That's that's all it is. Should they be doing better? Well, the ones that actually are following Christ should be doing better, but they're not all following Christ. They just call themselves Christian. That's we need to have a mature viewpoint that a huge, huge chunk of people who say they're Christian don't don't ever bother to consult God on anything. They just <laughs> figure they're just so dang right and they get it and everybody needs to be on their page, kind of a thing. And they're just using that to get whatever they want out of life and so forth. So let's not be naive about that, that, that of course you ought to be able to expect more 
out of people who say that they are followers of Christ, and we ought to be able to look at some people and say, I don't see the fruit of a, a relationship with God taking place here, uh, and, and be able to draw some lines with that. Um, so you're talking about, as well, you know, how do I choose which way to go with that? Well, first of all, I, I wouldn't choose a church based on its history, period, because there's, some of them have pretty good history, but the way they are today stinks on ice, and you know, some of them have a, a pretty shady history, but this one particular pastor isn't a product of that system and has no connection with it. He's just a dude. The church was hiring. I'm, there are certain branches, as you put it, or certain denominations that I wouldn't really look at because I know the doctrine is just, you know, pretty funky and I, I wouldn't go for it. That wouldn't really relate to their history, if you see what I'm saying. Uh, along the lines of what, what Lee was saying there, I would be looking at spiritual care, uh, first and foremost. Can I get this guy on the phone if I have a crisis? Uh, if if not, then there I, this guy can't be my pastor. He can't shepherd me in any sort of way. Uh, if if I can't get a, you know a fellowship going, if I can't get a good body life out of this situation, it doesn't matter about anything else. I it just doesn't matter how sharp they are in any any other front. It's just not capable of meeting my need. But I think as as we're leaving this, I would also suggest to you that everything about Christianity needs to get away from sort of this team-based thinking, this, uh, you know, we, we're we Protestants and we don't like Catholics and they're Eastern yeah. Orthodox and they don't like Protestants or whatever, you know, and we're not, you know, they, they say something funky so we don't like them and this and this and that part of what you're feeling right now is how you don't like that and how you want to not be subject to that. There are important lines to be drawn as we're, as we're saying here, but it's, it's really important to recognize that uh, you are right to look at this whole landscape and say, uh, I need something that has integrity to it right now, today, regardless of the history of all these things. I need spiritual care today, and I have high expectations, and I need somebody somewhere to be willing to follow through and and pour into my life because I, mm-hmm. I need that and I want that, and I'm ready to pour into the life of this church as well, and I'm, I'm ready to be a participant in that. If that's where you're at, I'd say be as picky as, as you feel like you need to be. Amen on that. An excellent, excellent place to take it. And Jed, where will we close this discussion out? I think you've already heard a lot of great stuff. Here, here's the one thing I would add. Uh, Christians believe that they are special, and in uh, one very specific way they are, but in all other ways they are not. So let's discuss one of the ways in which they are not. Uh, the following are things that corrupt all people. Money, power, and fame. It doesn't yeah. matter what your faith tradition is. Money, power, and fame will corrupt you. And uh, that was true a thousand years ago. It is absolutely true today. If you give any human being enough money, power, and fame, it will more or less ruin them. And if you don't believe me, here's a quick thought experiment. I want you to imagine that someone does something, not like super, super bad and not like illegal, but like uh, your spouse's employer is mean to them, or your child's school teacher is kind of uncool towards them. Or somebody kind of like, you know, snips at your dog when you're out taking it for a walk. Now, 
you would probably be inclined to just let that go. If you had a million dollars in the bank, you'd get a thought in your head of, you know, I could probably do something about all this. If you had a hundred million dollars in the bank, not only would you have that thought, you'd have an advisor who says to you, you know, we could probably do something about this and get that teacher fired. If you had a billion dollars in the bank, you would have a team of advisors who had already drawn up a plan of how to get that teacher fired for being marginally uncool to your child. It's only so long before you act on those opportunities. Money, power, and fame present you with constant temptation to do things that you wouldn't otherwise do. They're a corrupting influence. So the thing that I want to encourage you to do is to find a church that is not seeking those things. That may be harder to do than you think because almost every church that you've ever heard of is trying to get as much money and as much power and as much fame as they can possibly get a hold of. And they believe that they will be different. Uh, They've got a system where they'll be able to handle it. It has destroyed literally every other person and organization who's ever gotten a hold of it, but they will definitely be different. That's that's what literally everybody (laughs) believes. Mm -hmm. And it's not going to work. It's it's not going to work out. And I want to tell you a quick story that, weirdly, I want, in a sense, to create sympathy for corrupt churches with you, because I think it's important to understand how this stuff works. And it's really easy to to demonize things, but I think when we see what it's like for people who are caught up in them, not only does it create more of the Christian spirit of charity, but I think it also gives us an insight of how we need to not play with these things in our own lives, okay? Okay. So there is a a church here in Chicago that is very, very well known, and they're part of a big network. They're very influential and powerful. And many years ago, I was involved uh, in an initiative there. And um, basically, there was one person there that decided they didn't like me, and they pretty much just made up a bunch of stuff about me and, and more or less kicked me to the curb. It was a super, super uncool thing. Now, At the time, they were in the midst of building a new building, and it wasn't done. It was basically just kind of an an empty lot with some construction materials on it. And it had been, I don't know, five or six years since I had been anywhere near, like, geographically where these folks were. And I was driving uh, one night, and I took a wrong turn, and I went past this same church. And the building was done. And it was, it was impressive, man. I mean, it was, it was big and beautiful and bright lights and really modern signage. And it looked great. And I mean, this was like an expensive building. It was like a hundred million dollar building. And I mean, just really an impressive bit of architecture. And in that moment, I had this overwhelming realization that if you have a resource like this, if you have an asset like this, the next thought in your head is how could we be wrong? Mm, Look at how blessed we are. Look at how successful we are. Look at how amazing we're, how could we be wrong? But you're so wrong. You are so, so wrong. Yet you are in a system that won't permit you to understand that. And Mm. this takes us back actually to where one of the places Lee started us, which is the reason that money and power and fame are so corrupting is it is almost impossible to be rich and powerful and famous and maintain any humility. Okay. I want to say that again. It is almost impossible to be rich and powerful and famous and maintain any humility. Although it is not clear from the things you see in Christian culture right now, if I could pick one underpinning of all of Jesus's teachings, it is humility. Yep. That is the thing yep. that ties together not only everything that Jesus said, 
everything he lived, everything he demonstrated, everything that he taught, it will be impossible to be a Christian with no humility. And again, riches and power and fame will basically strip all humility away from you. So that's what we want to look. If we want to understand where these problems came from, in large measure, they came from money, power, and fame. And if we want to move forward in a more healthy way, we need to find people who are serving the Lord and seeking the Lord and choosing to eschew and set aside money and power and fame. Amen. An excellent place to take that. I will, I'll add one more thing on the, on the history aspect of this, which is Jed is absolutely right that if you see the downfalls of a lot of stuff and especially recent church history, you're going to see the pursuit of money, power, and fame. One of the other things, a lot of church history controversies split, whatever you're going to have uh, seeing, if, especially if you look far enough back to, as we, Glenn mentioned, you know, when the Eastern church split from the Western church, when the Protestant church split from this, when these uh, denominations split off from each other and it all became a thing, you're going to find a lot of people who are kind of right and kind of wrong. Yeah. You're rarely yeah. going to find just uh, the hero who saw through everything and was right about everything. Uh, you know, Martin Luther had a lot of excellent critiques about the, uh, the Catholic Church time. He said a lot of other stuff too. Yep. And we aren't exactly yeah. going to sign off on, uh, it's not, that has nothing to do with, you know, Lutheranism today or anything. And I'm not saying that to inherently bash Martin Luther, but, in the same way we talk about a lot, if you look to the Bible outside of Jesus himself, you don't find a list of people who did everything right and were always awesome. That's you right. find people who are messes. It's the exact same for church history, and one of the things that should that should carry you forward into today as you're looking for ways to think about Christian stuff, ways to think about church stuff, is exactly these guys are pointing out. Anyone who portrays themselves as our theology is perfect and our interpretation of Scripture is flawless and we know how this goes because we are the most correct you cannot run fast enough from that because that is going to end poorly if you want someone who is going to take the attitude of this is the best we understand it this is the best we got we're doing what we can with what we have you're going to find a lot a lot of good stuff in places that have that particular attitude we're moved to our final question here it comes in and says you said in an earlier episode of the po- in an earlier episode of the podcast, I'm down to the 30s now. Oh, we've had some, oh. several people over the years have mentioned that I'm doing this. I'm starting where it is. I'm listening to the back catalog. Around like 200, you can just bail. <laughs> if you you can email yeah. me and I will I listen to a lot of podcasts. I will give you other ones you can listen to. That's when we hit our stride, Matt. 200 yeah. episodes. <laughs> Don't need to do that for yourself. <laughs> I but you said in one of those early episodes that you enjoy tough and gnarly questions. So do you have any advice for when the abyss seems to be getting closer and it feels like the barrier to keeping going is getting bigger and bigger? I will certainly echo what we said when we read the first question. We really appreciate the honesty. We appreciate the vulnerability in a big, big way. And Glenn, what would we start off with? Oh, the abyss. I know all about the abyss. You've, you've come to the right place for abyss talk. Uh, yeah, I... The abyss is getting closer and closer, but I like what you're saying here. It feels like the barrier to keep going is getting bigger and bigger. And that's actually sort of a good sign, uh, the way that I would interpret that. Uh, The harder that you push, the harder the enemy pushes back. That's how this goes. Mm. If you're trying to uh, just bail out on everything and, and not work on your walk and 
not listen to podcasts uh, and everything, then the devil pretty much has got you where he wants you. And he, there, there's not going to be a whole lot of, uh, you know, things getting tougher and tougher and, and that sort of deal. If you're pushing forward, the enemy's going to be pushing back. And the harder you push forward, the harder he pushes back. There's no stopping that. There's no changing that. Uh, the the only response that we can have to that uh, it, that doesn't destroy us is to have uh, courage in that moment. There's no substitute for courage. There's no way around that. There's no, you know, we can't just be really earnest and sincere. We can't just go up on a mountain and, you know, think blissful thoughts. This is a moment that calls for courage. It's a moment that says, I, you, by fighting this fight, I will become stronger. And that that's part of the the whole dynamic of this thing is that with each attack that I face, I get stronger and stronger as I find some kind of way to overcome it. I feel tired off of that. Mm, I feel overwhelmed yeah. at times off of that. I feel like I'm not getting anywhere because I don't feel super holy. I just feel tired right now. The, the reality is you're getting stronger and stronger. And the reality is you're getting a whole lot more holy. Uh, but, and, and, and maybe you thought holy was just, uh, you know, blissful thoughts. <laughs> it's not. Holy is when all these things come at you and you're still standing. Uh, that's, that's what, if that's what you're experiencing, you're experiencing holiness, not an abyss of, uh, you know, darkness and, and pointless struggle. Uh, but the truth is it does feel that way. And I have been there. I can relate to that. Um, and you're not alone in that. Uh, so how do we move beyond that? I mean, so we know we have to stand our ground. We know that we have to push forward every time we can. We know if he pushes us back twice as hard, we push him back four times as hard. That's the, that's the, the battle plan here. That's the only way that we can grow and get out of this. Uh, unless we have uh, the plan to, to give up and, you know, just uh, uh, chicken out here. So how are we, if, if we, if we say, okay, I'm going to be courageous. I'm going to be fighting my way through this. What else can I get going here? That's going to make this livable and tolerable uh, and allow me to recharge my batteries. I, I the top of that list would be better fellowship. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to be in a, in a place where people get you, they get what your struggles are. They get, why this is tough for you right now. I don't know how many times I have just been sitting and talking with somebody and expressing that struggle out loud. And I hear myself explain it to myself in a way that I did not understand previously. I I can just see it for the first time uh, because I'm, I'm having to articulate it rather than it just free flowing thoughts in my head. You need good sounding boards uh, from people. And I, I think maybe a good early test for that is people who don't uh, give you sort of pat answers or, you know, sort of, a, you know, cut and dried cookie cutter kind of, well, just pray and whatever kind of answers to things that where there's a real compassion there, but there's, there's more of let's get into the nuts and bolts of it. And let's, let's examine the details of that rather than dismissively saying, you know, you just got to have faith, man, in that kind of stuff. 
Um, I would say, too, if you look at, um, this might be the final thing on this, but is to ask yourself, you, know, you feel you're in crisis now. That's, that's where you're at. That's what you're dealing with. But if you weren't in crisis, who would you be? What mm. would your life look like? How, what would your personality be like? Um, how, how would people describe you if you were not in crisis? One of the things about being in crisis for a long time is that it, it, your personality and your sense of identity become fused to that crisis. You, Mm -hmm. you, you, crisis is part of your being. Uh, it's how you know yourself and it can be a weird and scary thought to think if I didn't have a crisis, I might not recognize myself. I, I might not know, you know, I'm used to waking up every day and trying to figure out what I need to worry about. If I don't have something to worry about, I'd just be in a panic trying to figure out what, what's the thing. I can't figure out the thing to, to have a panic about, and that's making me panic all the more. Uh, but if you take the time to recognize there is a real you underneath this crisis, get to know that person and recognize uh, that what we're struggling to do is to get to that place where you can be your true self of who you are before God. Uh, get to know that person and say the goal here is for that person to come forth in a healthy way to get out of crisis mode and get in touch with who you are in Christ. Yeah. A wonderful place to start that off. And Jed, I'd love to get you to pick us up here. I I, I see in this question a thing we we encounter a lot with uh, the men and women we work with at the bridge, which is often there is a a thing they are fixating on. You know, this person talks about you know the barriers and the, the calling in the abyss, and that might be it's a job or it's getting into a program or something. And they come to the the idea that this has to work out because this is the only thing that could work out. Yeah, and oftentimes that's not as related to how great that program is. It might be great, it might be something, but it's related to just how tired they are. Yeah. No, I I think that's totally true. I think here's one of the things I've found in my own life, and if it's useful, keep it. If it's not, chuck it. But it is easy for me to get target lock. You know, it's easy for me to say that there's this big problem in my life, and what we need is for this problem to be fixed, right? And we need it to be basically fixed right now. I'm I'm tired of dealing with this. I'm tired of thinking about it. I'm tired of waiting. So the, the only thing I care about is we're going to fix this problem. That's That's target lock. But now here's one of the things that I find is in trying to fix that problem, I get more and more tired. And weirdly, the more tired I get, the more target lock I get. Mm. There becomes a point where the thing I need above all else is simply to stop and just rest a while. And that's what I'm saying. No, we are we are tripling down on this. We are going to fix this. We are going to solve this. I reached a point where I'm no longer... <clears throat> I'm no longer able to do any degree of productive work on it, but I am exhausted and I have massive unrelenting target lock. That's true for me, but I, I think it's actually true for a lot of us. And I think that there are two takeaways that might be useful to you. The first is there are problems. We, we tend to look at big problems and we want to categorize them as either basically solvable or basically impossible. And the solvable ones, what we need to do is just work pretty hard for a few days and then it'll be solved. And the basically impossible ones are pretty much hopeless, so only a fool would try, so, so don't worry about those. 
But what that leaves out is there are a lot of problems in life that are ultimately solvable over a much more, a much longer duration of time than we are comfortable with. Mm. There are problems that are solvable, but man, it's going to take forever. It's worth it. It's worth sticking with it. It's worth staying on that journey, but this is going to take a minute. This is not a weeks long problem. This is not a months long problem. This is a while. We need to stay with it. We need to take that journey because that's how we get to the promised land. But this is not going to be a quick problem. So that's thing one is giving ourselves permission to conceive of problems that are solvable, but over a longer period of time. That's thing one. Thing two is if we're willing to admit that those kind of problems exist, and to be clear, a lot of Christians are not. A lot of Christians either want deliverance that happens right now today, or they just want to just give up, which is an understandable desire. I I definitely get that. But if we're willing to admit that there are long problems, then the other thing that we need is we need to learn how to rest. We need to learn how to actually take a break right now. Because if we're if we're dealing with challenges, if we're dealing with obstacles that maybe a year's worth of work or a couple years worth of work, no one can say, I'll sleep when I'm done. I'm just gonna power through this. There's there's no such thing as that. You you've got to learn how to rest now. And I think that to do that effectively requires equal parts knowing, practically speaking, how to rest, like what literal activities um, give you that sense of rejuvenation, whether that's fellowship with other Christians like Len's talking about, or you just sitting and playing a video game. But the other thing is giving yourself the permission to do that, um, Mm. is being able to frame this in your own mind in a way that you can live with, that this is not about me being lazy, this is not about me giving up, that this, me choosing to actively rest and take a break, this is a part of the solution that I'm working on. This is a part of the ultimate victory that I expect to see in this area in my life. But if I don't rest, it's going to make it a heck of a lot harder to get to that victory. The key thing I want to leave you with is don't give up, man. Don't give up. A a weird thing about working in prison ministry and homeless ministry and, and gang ministry is you come across so many problems where not just for the person experiencing the, but my sense as, as a helper is I don't even know where we would begin. This is a hot mess on top of a dumpster fire on top of a disaster. How, how would one even begin to conceive of how to solve this problem? And then you start to dig into it and little bit by little bit, you chip away at it and you realize, no, we can, we can solve this piece of it. And then we can solve this other piece of it. And we can start to get somewhere with this. The fact that something looks like a huge mess that no one could solve doesn't mean it's a huge mess that no one could solve. There are more resources than you think are out there. There are more people who want to help than you think are out there. There is more help available than you think is out there. So it's a matter of pacing ourselves, saying we will get to the bottom of this. We're going to take it five minutes at a time, and we're going to rest whenever we need to. That is a really, really excellent place to take that and leave. Where would we close this discussion out? Well, everything that you've heard has been fantastic, and I'm I'm super thankful that that you wrote in. And you're exactly right. Even way back in episode 30, we 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 want to confront the, the difficult questions, and so this is this is a really good thing to write in. 
One thing that I would tell you as a pastor, as somebody that, like the rest of these guys, is in is in kind of helps work, helps ministry, that kind of thing, is don't be afraid to be the squeaky wheel. Don't be afraid to ask for help over and over again, to tell people, I need to hang out. I need someone to listen. I need to meet with someone. Um, Glenn made a point in his last response about churches that, uh, you know, if, you, if you're going to a church where you can't get the pastor on the phone, uh, you might want to look around for a different one, which I definitely agree with. What I can tell you as someone who is a, who is a pastor where uh, my phone number is literally just printed in the bulletin and anybody can just text at any time, and they do, is the people that I most often meet with, talk to, uh, share a coffee or a meal with, well, you know, before, you know, meeting restrictions and stuff like that, are the people who ask for it. The people who reach out and say, I need somebody to talk to. That's where that process begins. There are a fair number of people that I have kind of a list that I go down and people I want to catch up with, people I want to spend some time with, people I need to, uh, you know, uh, circle the wagons with, haven't seen them in a while and stuff like that. But the majority of people who get my ear and my attention are the people who say, hey, I'm having a hard time. Would you meet with me? I, I, I point that out specifically because I think that for a lot of folks, there is a hesitancy around saying, I need some help. Um, there is kind of a, a shyness, a bashfulness around the idea that I need somebody to talk to. And what we want to do is we want to cancel all that and declare over the entire human race, none of us knows what we're doing, we're all having a really hard time, and we all need each other. Therefore, let's all be comfortable with the idea that I need to ask for help from people who live in my community. I need pastors and counselors and therapists and friends. I need a small group. I need a ministry team. I need people who are willing to sit down with me and listen to my problems. I loved in Glenn's response when he talked about the fact that there are times when he sits down across the table with somebody and he starts talking about his problems and just that process unlocks the answers. And he's like, well, lo and behold, I figured it out. Look at that. Well, how, how awful would it be if that was the answer to the thing and yet I was just too bashful to ask anybody to spend time with me? And so what we want to do is encourage you to not be afraid to be the squeaky wheel. There's the old adage, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. That is absolutely true in a lot of ministry situations. If you are the person who's having a hard time and you let people know it, whose job it is to help you, you will get FaceTime with people. You will get their ear. And what you need um, is you need an ear to listen to you. You need hands to hold you. And that is perfectly fine. That makes perfect sense. I need that same thing. I need ears to listen to me. I need hands to hold. And I need friends. And I need counselors. And I need, and I need pastors. And I need small groups. Don't be afraid to be the squeaky wheel. Don't be afraid to ask for help. This is not a time to be bashful. It's a time to reach out and insist that somebody hang with you, sit down with you, listen to you, and help you out. All wonderful, wonderful stuff. Uh, one thing I'll, I will tackle on the end here of our discussion, as you very eloquently put it in your question, the the abyss setting in, um, the 
The attractive thing about the abyss is that it seems like it will be relaxing. There's an idea that now this is all struggle and I got to try to figure stuff out and I got to do all the things. And if I just gave into the abyss, at least that would be, that would feel uh, at least, you know, relaxing and it would be a, a big nap. And as you're doing all the good stuff these guys have given you, um, I, would, I would definitely echo what Jed said about taking some time to do the rest as you know, these Glenn and Lear talked about fellowship. I think there's an idea that when we're working hard on something, that's a problem we need to fix that needs to be work. That needs to be toil. That needs to have an unpleasant aspect of it. And that stuff will very much often come on its own. So don't be too worried about that. If you're, if you're, if one of the things you, you think, boy, it would seem great just to leap into the abyss because then at least I wouldn't be having to do the work. Oftentimes that's a time when what you really need is the rest and to take a moment to relax. And that's going to really take the edge off a lot of that thought process, or at least has in my life. If you have a question for us, you can email us at say that podcast at gmail.com, or you can write into the bridge, slash ask where you can write in completely anonymously. Both those links are in your episode description. We're going to take out with a song this week. It's been a while since we've heard from our friends in the Deacons division. This is a song yeah. featuring a lot of very talented friends called Little Light. Take out that. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Tune in for tonight's special news report, the Say That Snack Crisis. What role are hidden outside Scandinavian agitators <laughs> playing in no. the ongoing snack sedition? No. <laughs> if you got a little light, blow it up, show it up. If you got a little light, blow it up, blow it up. If you got a little light, show it up, show enough. Cause it ain't enough light, showing up, show enough. Yeah, I got a little light. It's just a little light, itty bitty little light. Lit it a night light. You know what it looked like pulling at your phone in the middle of the movie. Everybody know it all. Well, yeah, I got that Jesus light. You know you heard me right. In the dark, it'll start. Hear me right. Bring my little light to his feet, set it down.
I'll say it's yours if you can use it. If he rolling, then I'm down. Now he's doing big things through his love inside of me. And I be loving everybody, cause I know he loving me. Oh, man.